Rescue the Fosters is about changing the foster system. We want to ensure every child has a safe environment to grow and become healthy, successful adults. Additionally, when I was in the foster care system, I had to defend for myself. Rescue the Foster is here to empower the youth aging out of the system and offer resources to ensure they are not dependent on the government. What we observed was that children become institutionalized and end up in prison and providing the government with more funds. Rescue the Foster will provide coaching, resume writing, interview skills, professional attire for interviews, budgeting, applying for college, and obtaining housing. We want these youth to live the most free and successful life possible. It is their right and our responsibility to ensure that our future kids and grandchildren can live happy lives. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Good evening and welcome to Rescue the Fosters. I am Gino, your host, and as always, sitting next to me and right underneath me are the co-founders and co-hosts of Rescue the Fosters, Miss Danielle Holm and Miss Sylvia Beachy. How are you, ladies? Good, Gino. <laughs> well, we're How all, are you? I'm doing great, thank you. My ears are still plugged up, so it's really annoying because I can't hear very good, but um, the, actually the headphones are making it a little bit easier. Today I was at the store and someone was trying to say something to me and I, it was, it's kind of embarrassing because you know yeah. they, don't, they don't know you're having ear problems and you're like, uh, okay. And my answer was probably really weird, but whatever, you know, that it'll go away <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's not an infection, it's something simple. But anyway, enough about me because we have a great guest on tonight, another great guest on Rescue the Fosters. We, uh, we deliver here at Rescue the Fosters, don't we ladies? Every yes, show, we have another amazing person. And our guest tonight is just another one of those people that is just doing incredible work and helping so many families in this great country of ours. So, Sylvia, if you wouldn't mind, could you please introduce our guest tonight? I would love to introduce our guest tonight. So, Mel is with SaveOurChildren.org. And she has been helping uh, with a lot of the lawsuits that are happening right now. And in fact, I joined her lawsuit today. Um, but I met Mel, was it about a year ago, actually? Almost maybe a year ago. Um, and it was Terry with Let Our Children Go that sent me her information. And then yeah. it just went from there. No? Yeah. So welcome. Um, Mel, welcome so to Rescue much. the Fosters. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you all tonight? <laughs> doing great. Thank you so much for coming on. This is her second appearance, by the way. If you want to watch the first episode, I think it was roughly about a year ago. Uh, could be just a little bit longer, but uh, so much great information. I, Mel, I knew that night when we were talking, I said, she's going to be a part of something here in the future with us. I just knew it like <laughs> instinctively inside that because I just, the information you were putting out that night was so critical to what we were actually looking into at that time. And there was, and you know, and most people go the traditional route with attorneys and all these things, and you were doing the hard work yourself. So I'd like yeah. really for you to start at the beginning and what got you uh, into this advocacy role? Um, I mean, was it you were forced into, into it or did something else lead you in that path? 
Well, thank you for having me um, back again. How did I get into this role? It's, it's kind of mixed. Well, even before I started in advocacy, I went to school for policy analysis. So I went to UNC Chapel Hill to kind of study how are policies made and how do they affect the public? So I think I had a background already that when the position, when the opportunity presented itself, that I was already in a position to kind of do something about it. So I was passionate about policies that, especially like prison policies and the death penalty and different policies where people were punished, where I knew that there were discrepancies in the system where people were being falsely accused and falsely convicted. And I knew I wanted to work in that area. However, once I started getting involved in government work and seeing that there was a lot of corruption in the in that area, I started, you know, I started being targeted, basically. And after that, after I feel like just applying and 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 going along that road, it it, it caused a lot of exposure for me. And after after my my brief um, interaction working with the federal government, I was targeted after that ever since. I mean, I, I never went on the whistleblower route or anything like that. I was just targeted simply for knowing. <laughs> and that's how I started Save Our Children Truth Commission. Um, first being targeted, finding other parents who were targeted and helping them realize that it was just, it was more about, it was more than just their children being taken. It was bigger than that. They were being watched, they were being surveilled and their children being taken was actually retaliation for maybe their thought, their religion or so many other things just to help them understand that. So that's how it started. So just to clarify a little bit here. So you weren't whistleblowing. You weren't even going to a supervisor saying, you know, I don't really think this is on the up and up what we're doing here. Nothing like that. They just knew you were smart and you were kind of inquisitive and that was how it started. Well, well, well not quite that simply. I think it was just having different views than what was the current view. So I remember, I remember before, um, this was maybe about 15 years ago, this is when Facebook was really new and it was only college students and it was just like this very new social media platform. And there were, and and we didn't know at that time that we were being watched on social media. We really thought that it was just a kind of a social thing. So I made a comment one time that I thought was me that was meaningless at the time to me. <laughs> and, I, and, and I said, all lives matter. Okay, I, I confess, that's what I said. I said, all lives matter. And for me, it was not controversial. I was just, you know, I wasn't trying to start any controversy. I was just like, everyone matters. You know, I thought it was kind of a flippant statement. And I, it seemed to shut, sh sh to set up a, 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 excuse me, it set up a chain of events and that my employer um, started treating me differently. And I just started being blacklisted. I couldn't get even the simplest job, even at a fast food restaurant. And then, I started being targeted by um, the Department of Health and Human Services. So they were trying to make me out to be crazy. So they would say that I had some type of mental health issues. They could never prove this obviously because I don't have any mental health issues and I've had every single psychiatric evaluation from every single you know, <laughs> doctor available. Um, however, that's how they 
basically weaponize the legal system to force you into silence and not to speaking your mind and not to talking about any of the even the smallest of things. So I was never whistleblowing about them. I was just expressing my opinion about, you know, everybody being important. I wasn't really trying to be controversial. I didn't know that I didn't know my statement at that time was controversial. I, I never knew that saying all lives matter would ever be a um a kind of controversial thing to say. You know, it yeah, just really. seemed like a very yeah, I never knew it was gonna turn into that. But after that it just seemed like they were on me and they wanted to silence me because I didn't I didn't you know, being that I was headed to being um in public relations, which we now know is more propaganda I guess I was poised to speak a certain message and to toe the line. And so when I simply express a different thought, I became a target. Wow. So just to clarify, you, your initial targeting started with HHS. Is that right? No, my initial targeting just started with um, the State Department, U.S. State Department. Okay. Got wow. It. And by the way, for the audience, if you saw Mel's resume... Um, and she couldn't even get a job at a fast food restaurant. I mean, that just tells you how powerful these people are uh, in our government when they want a narrative to go a certain way. And I know most of the audience that's watching this show knows that. They already understand that. So they're not really shocked or surprised by it. But I think the amazing thing is all of us here and everybody watching are people of activism. We are people that are like, you know what? No, we're not going along with the narrative. We're not going to walk lockstep with them. And that's what I love about you, Mel, is, is you're kind of that, you know, I guess a rebel, <laughs> if you can call it that, like you just want to do right. I mean, that's a rebel nowadays, you know, but yeah. yeah. All, and to be honest, really, I mean, if yeah, you're saying the beginning of Facebook, whatever that was, 2004 or five. Um, that's interesting that even back then they were already on that narrative of all lives yes. matter or they don't right. matter, you know, and certain people are, are more or better than others. So that's interesting that it even started, you know, that long ago. Yeah, well, this was the beginning of Black Lives Matter, actually. that's It was a Black Lives Matter post, and I I never thought that it was really controversial, really. This was really in the beginning of it, so they didn't have the popularity or the attention that they are now. They were just this fringe group that no one had even heard of. So, And also, I did not know that I was being watched on social media. I thought that this was just a conversation between me and other people, and we were just debating. So I never knew that I was being watched. Yeah, hindsight's <laughs> 2020. Now we know that, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, it used to be called LifeLog. It was a CIA um, tool that they were using, and then they kind of handed it off to Mark Zuckerberg. On the same day they shut it down through the government, it became Facebook. For Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. So yeah, so right yes. from the beginning, they were already, you know, from the jump, they were spying on citizens. And what a great way to do it through social media, because they knew people were going to love that platform and, you know, talk to old friends and family. It's kind of like a reunion. Yes. Uh, I mean, who didn't like it, you know, in the beginning, but then later on, you're like, wait a minute, why am I getting certain <laughs> advertisements? Or why am I, you know, is this person, you know, just lots of weird things. So, you know, I guess hindsight's 2020, but thank God, <laughs> you prevailed and now you're doing some great words so great work so let's fast forward a little bit here and let's go into what actually happened with your own family okay so what happened with my own family how did it all begin well it just simply started when i went to i was a single mom 
and I was also going to school, like I'm always doing apparently. Um, to digress, that I also was targeted at that school that was UCLA, which was quite interesting. Mm -hmm. So, but I went to the school and I just told them that, you know, being a single mom and being having school was just really too much. And I needed to take a leave of absence, you know, just for my mental health. And I didn't, I also didn't think talking about mental health issues was a stigma. So I just said that, yeah, I'm stressed out. This is just too much. And I went to a therapist and I asked her for a note to take to the school to, um, to actually, you know, to take a leave of absence. Now this therapist, I didn't know that she was actually working for CPS. And so she, she went back and gave a report to them that I was um, depressed or whatever, and that they needed to come and take my children. <laughs> Which is like, I, I'm like, I don't know. I was just really trying to take a break from school. I never, I never imagined for the, that it would escalate to that point. And then it just got to be really weird where, you know, when I went to, you know, so they came to my house at 11 o'clock at night and they were banging on the door and I came to the door and they're like, listen, we need to take your children because we heard that, you know, no, first they asked me like, oh, how are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just in bed, sleep, whatever, you know? And so they're like, well, we kind of report that you were having some type of mental crisis or something. I'm like, well, no, that's not the issue at all. Like, and so they're like, well, we have to remove the children just for safety reasons, but we'll, you know, once we assure that everything's fine, you know, you'll, we'll bring them back. And I actually wasn't belligerent or anything because I thought that that was true. I said, okay, well, maybe they really are concerned and they're just going to bring them back and this will all get cleared up and everything will be fine. So I was actually not worried. I gave them diapers and stuff to take for the night. I thought it was just like a, a an overnight thing, but it just turned into be a nightmare where they were just, you know, they just, it, it was almost as if they were, the, the first day I had to go to court, the judge said, if you don't take medication, then we're, we're not going to give you your children back. You need to take your medication. And I said, what medication is that? And ever since then, it seems like they've been really trying to get me to take some type of medication. I don't know what it is, but any type. Um, it seems like it's something from the pharmaceutical companies, just, just from my opinion my observation where they have some type of deal with these agencies to push their medicines. And so they're using these court orders to get us on these medications because they don't really sell. Let's be honest. They, no one's really taking them like that. And so now they are like a mafia organization where we are forced to go to these medical treatments, whether they work or not forced to take these medications, whether we have an issue or not, simply because they want to push this product. So of course I refused to, to take any medication, but I did go to the therapy. I did talk to the therapist. They all said that I was a great person ready to have my children back. And the, in Los Angeles County, they pretty much did everything that they, they could to suppress the evidence. So they wouldn't allow the therapist to come to court and testify. They hid his records and his notes from the court. And they basically just um, took my children and put them with my mother, which I know is not as bad as what some other people have experienced. But, you know, there's still that's not the kind of situation I want to be in. So 
basically they've kind of just been perpetuating this myth and it seems like their big issue is to, to to get me on some type of medication and i don't and i'm wondering what is the motivation behind that well one thing well, i know that they do is they force medications onto the parents so that they have a reason to justify it's like a to justify what they did previously, taking your child, then they put you on drugs or they try to. And, and now it proves like, oh, I'm right. Now you're not functional because you're taking this medication. So it's yes. kind of like a backwards way of working. Yeah, they do, they do this to the workers also because uh, when I was a caseworker, this is the first time I was ever on any type of like anxiety medicine or anything like that but all the workers came oh, in wow. with no medication but all of them left with some form of like medication they were putting up putting up basically saying the same thing like you're overwhelmed you're burned out you're tired you're you need you know like take this basically yes and mm -hmm. Sylvia if I can piggyback off of that it's been a lot of that like they're they're basically trying to tell me like this was in, in September, um, just last two months ago, September, I had my last hearing where they, you know, I, I won't get to that part just yet, but they end up having to release my children because of the lawsuits that I had against them. But they were, um, the children's attorneys were was saying that I was delusional. She says, oh, yeah. she's clearly delusional, your honor. And they, they kind of tell you how you feel. So if you're like, I'm happy, they're like, no, you're not. You're depressed. You're yep. overwhelmed. You're this. And they badger you into, to you know, it's almost as if they're trying to make you feel a certain way and gaslight you to death till you kind of agree that, yes, I am. <laughs> I am this and that, you know, so they cause a lot of these mental health issues. And then it's like a, it's like a cycle. So, mm -hmm. you know that's that was my interaction with them they were basically trying to make me out to be crazy so that way everything I said would be invalidated and I would be depressed and get on medication and so forth but I just never did that so so it, it kind of started with the state department but you were also a single mom which seems to be a very easy target for these people these predators um and then when you're a single mom, it does seem that pharmacia always gets involved, right? If they always got to step in and, and yes, boy, she can't handle it. We got to get her on something. And then they get the kids on something. How old were your children at that time, by the way? Well, my children were very young, <clears throat> two and six months. But before I even, when I, how do I relate it to the state department issue? Well, when I was, without saying too much, you know, about them in particular, and this is not necessarily the State Department, but these are individuals sure. making their own choices. So I'm not talking about the State Department, I'm talking about individual people who decided to abuse their positions. And that's basically what happened. But I felt like I was being groomed for not just, not just you know, just not just professional work, you know, it was, you know, the working in the government, you know, police departments or any type of municipal type of environment is very toxic. And I'm sure you know this as the social worker, yeah. it's very toxic. The people okay. there are very broken. And so all of the professionals and the, and my higher ups wanted a romantic type of involvement with myself. 
And I do feel like when I did not respond to that or seem like I was, and, and, and it wasn't romantic involvement, like let's have a relationship. I'm really interested in you. You're a nice person. It was more of an illicit type of interest. And so when I seemed unavailable for that, it was almost as if retaliation and I'm not going to let her, you know, continue. So I think that, you know, my, my instinct tells me that I must have offended someone when I was, you know, in that career and they continued to monitor me and watch me and just, you know, send their minions after me. So I do think that they were related in that way. It does seem, and it does appear that there are sexual deviants in all aspects of, of government. I, I, I've come across this many other times on other shows, talking with people in private also. Um, and do you think that it's a possibility, I mean, I think it's a strong possibility, that they were getting ahead of it so that this wouldn't be a harassment suit? Would that be something that, that they may have uh, tried to do to get ahead of the game? Well, I think that from what I could see is, is because, you know, how did I become a single mom? Well, some of the, the people that I was, you know, my, my children's father, they were professionals as well. They weren't just, you know, um, you know, they had positions as well. And I do feel like they use their position to not have to maybe pay child support or, you know, they, they wanted me to actually have an abortion. I'm maybe sharing too much here, but I yeah. refused to do that. And so it was kind of like retaliation for that. Like, you know, since you, I don't want to take responsibility for, mm -hmm. you know, whatever happened. I'm well <clears throat> outside of my own, my own position, I've seen it like, with foster care children like if they are traumatized coming up they become an easy target for groomers and so i was kind of that easy target and for a while i was you know i guess i was allowing myself to be used you know because i had that low self-esteem i don't know how i had low self-esteem you're like okay you have all these things going for you but you know just you know, you never feel good enough when you're in a lot of these environments. And so when I finally put my foot down and decided that I wanted something better for myself, that's when I felt like they decided to maybe teach me a lesson. So I don't, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but. <clears throat> no, that does. And I'm glad you went into that because um, I don't think many people see the coordination with CPS in somewhere like the state department. Like you wouldn't correlate those two departments. Like why would they be involved? But see, they, yeah. these agencies are inter-agencies. They all They're work together. They share yeah. data. Absolutely. And you're being tracked across all of these Absolutely. fields. And, and that's why they call it meta. So your Facebook yeah. is connected with the DOJ is connected with DHHS is connected with your federal, you know, work history is connected with your medical history. Like it even got to the point now where, the, they wanted my medical history because they didn't have anything to say about me. So my attorney who was supposed to be working for me, she was, um, she came to me and was like, Oh, you know, I, we need your medical records. You know, where do you go to the doctor? Cause we just want to prove that you're healthy, but I knew better than to give anyone my medical records. And I actually don't really have a medical record like that because I don't go to doctors that much, but <clears throat> aside from, you know, some, if I have something major going on, like a, I hurt myself or something, but I really don't go. So 
they're looking for that medical record so that way they could tie that in. So we are, they're aggregating all of our data. They share it across all of their agencies and it's to the point where they now want to, um, they're tracking you, you know, so they're tracking, you know, not just me, but everyone. So it's not, um, they're, you know, they're, they're only, it's only getting worse as far as your information being out there and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's really bad. I mean, yeah, it's in, I kind of laugh. It's not funny, but it, you have to laugh because it, you know, people say, well, I have a VPN on my computer, you know, well, <laughs> not, it's too late. We've already given enough yes. information in that first exactly. year of Facebook for them to do whatever they want. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, there is out no there such now. thing as privacy. Yeah. It's all out there in, in uh, internet land. So, so, okay, Mel, let's get to the, to the crux of what we had you here for in the beginning, because uh, you're doing some work with the girls on some other cases right now. I know you have a lot of other things going on. But this is the part where if if there's parents out there watching right now that are going through this horrific situation in their life, you're going to probably want to extend a welcome to Mel Janelle because she might be able to help you with some of these things. Mel, I think the, the most amazing thing I heard about your story last time you were on was how you just buried your nose in law books. And you said, you know what? These guys aren't going to do it. I need to do it myself. And you took it into your own hands. You literally took the law into your own hands and stuck your nose <laughs> in a book for months upon months, years upon years. And you've, you discovered some things that most people probably don't know. <clears throat> Lawyers know, but they just, for some reason, don't want to help parents in these situations. So let's go to that. That's what we're going to focus on from this point forward is just what you what you had to do to get to the point you're at now and then where everything's going with your organization. Well, yes, that is kind of what I did was just really getting information because that's what they do. Imagine in order to attack us, they have to gather a large amount of information from various facets to really understand us and know what is our weakness. And so for most of us, they know that our weakness is our children. So that's where they'll attack us because they know that that's something that would drive anyone really, really mad. So we have to do the same thing. And the good thing about it is that their their information is everywhere. They're a public entity, so it's basically there. But the problem is, is that people are averse to reading. They're averse to, they would rather do something else. And so they know our weakness. They know that that's our weakness. And so therefore, they attack us in that area. And if we don't have the attorneys to fight for us, how many of us will be able to get the knowledge that we need to defend ourselves? Not many. So that is the reason why they use that strategy where the attorneys decide that they're not going to help you. So where does that leave us? If, if you know that your attorney is not going to help you, you basically have to learn what they learn and know what they know. And it's not that hard. So you know, turn everything on its head instead of defending yourself from all the accusations, which you already know are false. You already know that they're false. You'll notice a pattern. Everything that they're accusing you of are things that they're actually guilty of. So when you turn things around and you go on the offense and you start prosecuting as opposed to defending and you start playing offense and pointing out their negligence and their failure to do certain responsibilities that they're supposed to do. That is how you win. 
they have you under a microscope. And so you're you're going to be in a position where you're powerless. Why not put them under a microscope and call into question their professionalism, call into question their um, their obligations and the things that they've done? If they've committed perjury, we are responsible as a, as individuals for calling that out. So they'll do something and then they'll wait for you to say something about it, knowing that most people will either not know how to do anything about it or just be too tired to do anything about it. So that means they consent to it. So they operate in a very simple way. They'll do something that's wrong and then they'll wait to see if you're going to actually do something about it. And if you fail to do anything about it, then that means you consent. So we are basically consenting by failing to prosecute them for things that they have done while they continually continuously prosecute us for things that we haven't done. So we have to learn how to prosecute basically, which is what Save Our Children is all about. It's it's so simple but genius. You know, like of course we want it we should go on the attack. Why let them yes. these criminals go after us? And that's what they are. They are criminals. They're they're frauds. These people go go after these poor parents with fraudulent claims all the time, fake warrants, you know, police at your door, like you said, yes. 11 o'clock at night showing up. Like, why didn't they show up at 530 in the afternoon? You know, yes. like, why is like it at night under bands. the cover of dark? Yeah, right. So I think it's just genius what you've done and how you've flipped it upside down on them. And I got to say, I would I wish you had some video of just their faces in these <laughs> courtrooms when, when the, when the tables are flipped on them, I would love to see that. Oh my gosh, they can, they really, really hate it. You <laughs> see them really just like a, they're like a scared puppy. It's called a cross complaint. So you just, just think about it when you're playing football or any other sport, you got to play defense and offense. You cannot just play one. If you play defense only, that means you never score any points, which means you can't win. If you play offense only, that means the other side is going to just completely obliterate you and they're going to get, you know, down the field. So you have to do both. If someone is suing you, you must also sue them. That is the first thing. You have to sue them. They're suing you. They're basically going to court and saying that you're negligent and you don't take care of your children. But they're negligent and they don't take care of their citizens. And mm -hmm. that is the truth. And you have to call it simply simple as that. And if you know, many times we're, we don't even, um, we just let them get away with it, right? We want to live our own lives. We just, we just want to get on with things. We don't have time to prosecute someone. But now that they've dragged you into the courtroom and you're in that venue, you literally have no other choice but to take them to task for the things that they're doing. So if they are committing perjury, you know, you can't just spend all your time defending yourself and never addressing the fact that they committed perjury. Wait a minute, that happened. Okay, let's talk about what is the penalty for perjury because that did happen. A crime just happened. Doing things like going down to the police department and reporting a, the crime of perjury is, the, is one of the first things that has to happen. So if there's no victim, there's no crime. The perjury didn't happen if you don't report the crime. So it's our duty to prosecute them and to take them to task on the things that they've broken the law on or else we're consenting to it. So devil's advocate real quick here. So you say go to the police with the complaint. Now we know a lot of the police departments are corrupt and even part of their little game going on. 
Um, is it just important to get it on public record? Is that just yeah. so it's there, right? That's okay. really the only reason why okay. you're not expecting, and, I, and I'm glad you asked that question because some people get disappointed when they don't get the result that they want from that. Okay, now the police is going to take it and they're going to go and really prosecute, but that's not the reason why you do it. You do it because you have to report the crime and that's just part of the protocol, just like they have a protocol and procedures that they have to follow. If someone did commit a crime against you, whether the police does something about it or not, it is your duty to report it at the very least. And that's sometimes because we know the police isn't going to do anything about it, then we don't report it. And so now they've kind of gotten what they wanted out of the whole situation. It's sad that we actually have to, like I had to make a disclaimer there, like the police aren't doing their job, but they won't. In situations like this, it's, I don't know what the percentage is. It's very high. I mean, if, I'm going to say 75% of the time they do nothing. Because, yes. because the sick part about this game that's been going on is they're all benefiting it from it. They're all getting dollars, kickbacks. So we've seen, I know uh, we had someone on a while back that was saying that, you know, the judge's retirements are based on some of this yes. CP, on some of this money, right? The Title IV funding. Uh, same thing with a lot of the police departments. They're being funded. Some of their funding comes through these things. So they're not going to prosecute people. It's a conflict people. of interest. It's definitely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Now, that's, oh, I'm so glad you brought up conflict of, of interest. That That's, have... When you go to court and you've had some of these situations, have you ever brought up that very statement? And and what is the response if, if you have brought it up? Well, our current lawsuit is bringing that up. We've actually never made that argument because we had to go deep enough to actually prove it. So we are we now just uncovered the research that shows that the prosecutor for the case is being funded by Title IV. The judge is being funded by Title IV. The Children's Law Center and the Children's Attorneys are also being funded by Title IV administrative funds. And now they're, we even, uh, they're even trying to pass a rule, which our members voted down, to provide foster parents with attorneys as well, Title IV, which would even give more you know, antagonism mm -hmm. in the courtroom. So they're, they're trying to create custody battles where they don't exist, as if parents don't have enough to deal with. And then the parents' attorneys, if you have a state-supported attorney, is also funded by Title IV funds. That means the federal government is funding all parties in the courtroom, and there cannot possibly be an impartial view of things because they're all coming from the same pocket. So that took us, took us a lot of research to discover that. So that is what the recent lawsuit is about. Antitrust issues, the fact that there's no competition, there's no... Um, there's no private individuals that are allowed to just go into the courtroom and speak. They have to go and be part of their, you know, whatever their system of approved lawyers, that's antitrust. And then you also have the fact that they're all in the bar. That's another conflict of interest because they want to be friends with each other. So our, we're actually filing a complaint with the federal government right now to have the laws taken down because it is unconstitutional in the fact that it cannot be executed without some type of prejudice because it's innate in the system. So that's where my, I guess my background in policy analysis com comes in. The difference between a lawyer and what I do is I can see from a standpoint what motivates these individuals 
to make the decisions that they do. The, the way that the program is designed and the policy of the program is that they only get the money if the child is in the custody of the court. So you have the, the, the program is designed improperly. It basically incentivizes failure. So they don't, if, a, if the family thrives and they're able to be independent as they claim that they want to help families be in their statement, well, then that means they lose money. So it's it's flawed and it cannot work properly. It can't work because it puts a, a price tag on people's heads and it encourages people to lie in order to, to get the funds. Yeah, they actually don't uh, allocate money to the family at all. So they go after poor families that could use that money to keep the family together. And rather than giving them anything at all, they separate them and then they give all of that money to everyone else while destroying lives. But I, I would I would like to actually make one addition to that statement, Danielle. They do have a discretionary budget to give to poor families. And, and that would might break your heart because mm -hmm. we are under the impression that only the, only the contractors can get the money. So therefore they have to do it this way, but they don't have to do it that way. Under right. the Family First Preservations Act, the child can remain in the home and they can still provide services and all the service providers can get paid and everything. So, and then they even have a discretionary budget, which means what ever you need money for it could mean you need money to pay your light bill gas bill your rent your mortgage they can give you money free and clear for anything that you need so as long as it stabilizes your home but they deny americans that money that's been my argument from the beginning a lot of these people have had their children taken away because their lights were cut off well, why not yes. pay the $150 light bill so they can keep their kids in the home and, and have electric service? And so, I mean, it's just, that tells you right there there's an incentive. Yes. Uh, otherwise, they would, of course, we want to help a family. But they ne you'll never hear that in the best interest. It's never in the best interest. It's in their best interest to take the child. And it's, it's not necessarily all about money. I kind of, it's hard to tell, to communicate with people who are not maybe spiritual they, it's not all about money. You know, it's, right. that would be too easy. They can print money. Okay. Yeah, they don't need money like that. And, and, and again, just, just from analyzing the program, they don't have to remove the children to get the money. Actually, they just have to be in court custody. They can still be mm -hmm. in the home and the court just be monitoring. So the, the, the removal from the home is not necessary. Everyone could still get paid. It is about more than money. It's about traumatizing children getting them out of the care, custody, and control of their parents so that way they can cause them to have mental health issues and recruit them to be on medications, get them to sign up for the LGBTQ community, have them recruited for transgenderism, and just basically use them as medical experiments, sterilize them, and to prevent them from having their parent to teach them right for wrong. So it's really not about money. It's all about getting them away from you, mom and dad, from yeah. your, your care and control. They just want to get them away from you so that way they can control things. It has nothing to do with the money because the money can be used in a number of ways. That's yeah. the way, that's the truth of the program. It's, it's, a, it's a falsity that they have to remove them from the home. They have to be in the court custody, that's yes the court custody but they don't have to be out of the home they could just be monitored and be getting assistance but yeah, isn't it true that if they 
Oh, absolutely. Isn't it true, though, if they put them into foster care? I mean, then there's obviously more money pouring in and then they can get them on more drugs. So, I mean, I, I get exactly. the, the So that's the benefit of, from taking yeah. them away from you. They can do yes. even more yeah, if they leave them at the, home. Then they have to kind of go through you for everything. And but if they take them away now, they can just have a carte blanche, do whatever yeah. they want. Exactly. So it's not just about money. It's about control and their agenda. And really, I, I from what I've read, they they break the children down emotionally to groom them basically. So once the child is traumatized from having been taken from their parents, mm -hmm. now you can recruit them into all types of alternative lifestyles that are harmful for them. And they're trying to get more people into the LGBTQ community. I'm mm -hmm. just going to put it out there. That's... That's really what it is. They, they need more people. There's just not enough people joining their group. So they have to get the children to join. And the only way they can do that is by, first of all, causing some type of trauma because Old DSM books will show that homosexuality is usually related to, to some type of childhood trauma, even though that, that's not what it says now. But um, and so is transgenderism. They're all mental health issues related to childhood trauma. So they cause the childhood trauma and then they get the, the, the children hooked on the drugs and the surgeries and the lifestyle. And they do the same thing to the parents. And from now, what I'm learning from Sylvia, they do the same thing to the workers. So. No, That's you're right. it it's about yeah. causing the trauma. It's about causing trauma and breaking you to make you now dependent on them. Yeah. Uh, well, just what you're saying, uh, working in the foster system, they push the LGBTQ agenda or uh, transgender affirming, whatever you want to call it. That is pushed on the foster kids. Yes. Uh, and then, and then, like you were saying, the majority of sexually abused kids because they've been sexually abused, they don't see, they, they look at sets differently. So they start experimenting and then there, there's no nurture and there's no love and there's no guidance. So they start looking for ways to fill that void, to fill that. And they, they find it through the, the workers, like the therapist and the uh, behavior aids. And they push this agenda on them yes. to, to be. So they can uh, get validation from them. Right, right. And they and they push this on on me as a worker, you know, like you have to, you know, like use their pronouns and we, we had to keep our uh, culture uh, awareness updated, you know, and that's basically what they would call it. But then they teach you the terms, you know, like cisgender and, you know, all these, you know, terms that I can't even keep up with because they change every single day. Uh, but they teach and if you don't use the it, then what happens? But I'm sorry. And if you don't use it, then what's the consequence? Oh, you're usually um, written up or, you know, like you're, you're basically told that you're not being uh, supportive. You know, like you're basically guilted and gaslighted the whole time. And it's, um, it's, and you, and you really do believe that you're helping these kids because you're like, well, you don't want to offend the kid and the kid is mm -hmm. lonely and the kid is sad and yes. you're telling me that they feel like all these things. And then the other thing is like, when you're working in the group homes, the girls are hooking up with each other, you know, like mm -hmm. it's all it like, it's totally They're chaos. creating this, they're creating this whole thing. And that is, and they, and there's a lot of evidence. There's been a lot of cases brought against them that they have lost from 
how they keep the children in these juvenile homes and juvenile facilities. So there's there's mounting evidence in our favor, yes. but we just have to basically be strong enough to say something about it and to take them to a place where they have to answer, which is in front of a judge. They dragged us in front of one and they need to go in front of one too because mm -hmm. they are creating these problems. It's negligence, it's professional negligence, they are mm -hmm. responsible for making sure our rights aren't violated, including our right to free speech and our opinions and our religion and our whatever it is, you know, that is being trampled upon. So basically, that is that is what the lawsuit is about, is just addressing the issues head on, saying exactly what happened mm -hmm. and demanding that there be some accountability for the individuals who did these things, which we were not going to be silent about. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so yeah, I... Go ahead, Daniel. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if you know more about this than I do, but that, that recent trend or something that's happening, the foster more, and they're pushing the, the pride stuff. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, but see that's not new that's just new to us that's yeah. really what has been going on in the foster that's state. what it's all about that's yes. the whole yeah. goal yeah and then and of this... course after after the children get pregnant then they want you to they want them to have abortions and that supports their abortion agenda so they yeah. need they have it's all tied into one thing and yeah. we don't have to act like they want us to pretend like we don't know what's happening but I don't think that that's healthy at all. I think you really should just go ahead and say exactly what it is that you're preoccupied with your agenda and therefore you neglect it to ensure the rights of American citizens because you're so preoccupied with your agenda that you just can't see anything else. That's really what it is. They're oh. so blinded by their goal of, you know, of LGBTQ that they will do anything in order to promote it, even harm people. Yep. You know, rip apart a family. I'm am just speaking from my experience that the women who were who who took my children were lesbians, not the mm -hmm. ones who took them in, but the ones who were attacking me, the social workers, the children's. I felt hate from them. Yeah. Reverse hate. I felt hate for my for my um for my sexual orientation, which is heterosexual, and. <clears throat> They wanted to punish me for having children and just being a mom and being a normal woman and force me to change into whatever it is that they want. They wanted to use their jobs. And I that's that's that was my experience. I can't say for other people, but I do know that the the alphabet community did come for me through the through way of legal abuse and that the they're always talking about rights and they want to have the right for this, but your rights mean nothing to the, many of these activists mm -hmm. okay so right. that's the reality they want rights for themselves but they want to take your rights away i'm so glad you brought up the spiritual aspect of this because that is the key component in all of this yes the money's a driving force and all these other things but there is an agenda it's, it's a satanic agenda and that agenda is to tear the family apart, the nuclear family, get God out of schools, get God out of the, the culture, and then tear the family apart. And it's, it's this battle from within to take down this country. And if you can tear apart the family, you win. You don't have to use military force to do it. And they've been, this agenda has been going on for, for literally millennia. In biblical times, you go back and you see the Moloch and Baal and all these, these gods they were worshiping, what they were doing with their children. 
sexual perversion in the Roman Empire. I mean, like, this is not new stuff. It's been going on forever. And these people, they're sick enough. Uh, we've had several guests on that have talked about some of this stuff. But, uh, you know, using young children to gain power, a spiritual power, uh, because they're so they're, that's the closest you can get to God in human form when it's a newborn or, you know, one or two year old kid. Like, I mean, it's just sick thinking. Uh, also <laughs> the programming we had, uh, we had a couple ladies on Jel Gina and Kelly a couple weeks ago who were talking about the programming going on and how it's, these kids are literally being brainwashed. Just like you, you said, Mel, in every aspect of life, especially with the alphabet community. I mean, that, that's yeah. the truth. That's just the hard facts. <laughs> Nothing. I, I look, if, if someone, if an adult wants to live that lifestyle, you have free will, do what you're, do what you're going to do. There are consequences that come with every decision we make, but to force children into thinking the way they're thinking, I, Mel, I used to say the same thing you said, you know, it used to be, uh, mostly abused kids were becoming, getting involved in that lifestyle because they were looking, seeking love from, you know, like if it was a boy, his dad didn't, you know, add a boy him and pat him yes. on the back and say, great job. And, and then he kind of wanders off and needs that love, man love. And that's what he seeks. Yeah. But I got to tell you, the last probably, gosh, probably seven, eight years, I see it going, it's it's learned behavior now. They're yes. indoctrinating these kids to believe stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's still, you still have the element of abuse, but but I think even more so, they are really pumping this into the schools even in the churches, <laughs> in the, oh, yes. it's just and really, really big sick. on social media too. Because media. my, because my, um, I share a channel with my daughter, so I can always see whatever she's watching. And I've I've noticed the channel has has over. She's described she subscribed to like two hundred channels, and I asked her, I'm like, have you subscribed to all these channels? She's like, no, I don't even know how I'm subscribed to these channels. These are anime channels that have pictures of children. Um, cartoons of children committing suicide, self-harming, cutting, and they're just popping up. It's, some, it's somehow because she watches a lot of children's content, you know, they know. And so now it's being like, she's being subscribed to channels that are really bad, that have um, gay stuff up there. And I actually, <clears throat> um, you know, notified YouTube about the violation of the policies, but it's just flooded with channels. And then I noticed that when so we're so I'm currently logged out of YouTube, but I noticed that my other daughter who used YouTube too, but she wasn't logged in. She didn't have all that flood of information. So it's like they track you, they know you're a child, and then they target you with all of this filth and obscene images, which you which you don't even have to click on because you can just scroll past it and see it in the thumbnail and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's bigger than CPS, really. CPS is just one of their main tools but it's they're 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 attacking us from really every standpoint from 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 everywhere but i would say that they're not winning i would say that i don't think that they're actually winning um they would have it have us believe that from the way it looks but i do believe that it's a false i, I believe it's a facade uh, from what i've seen they're taking a lot of l's in court and <laughs> They're not. They're they're actually not persuading as many people as they want to, which is extreme. Which ex, which ex, explains their extreme behavior as far as just snatching children out of the home because they're just that desperate now, because it's not going well for them. Their their plans are not work really working out the way they they wanted. So, can I just say that I I 
think they're groomers. Um, I think that what they're doing, what I noticed in the foster system, um, okay, so like pimps, they're actually really smooth. And like when I worked with sexually abused sex trafficked kids, they never really talked bad about their their pimps or their groomers or anything like that because they're really good at it, right? Yes. Like they give them things that they want. So they make them feel like it's out of love, right? Well, so they're doing the same thing to our kids. They're groomers. They're they're giving them what they think is, you know, instant gratification on whatever they want, right? And that's how they uh like turned the children basically against what they were believed, you know, taught by their parents. Uh, and this was just something that I noticed in the in the foster system, but basically I I look at them as groomers who are grooming the kids yes, to be I think what they so want them to be. But then what is happening after that? Because a lot of the adult adoptees are coming to us too. So mm -hmm. when they get older, all of a sudden it flips. They start seeing the truth. They get very angry. That's they start true. realizing their entire life has been stolen from them. Lie, and yeah. a lot of them are now starting to try to figure out how to um, put lawsuits because of what happened to them in their life. So that's been happening a lot with adult adoptees. Yeah. Then send them our way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sad what, what we've gotten ourselves into. And, you know, it's really because we haven't stood up against it. We've let them, yes. these perverts, run things. And, uh, you know, I th the thing that's really encouraged me over the last few years was just when the mama bears were going to the school board meetings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were shutting down board meetings like within minutes and telling them you're, you need to resign or we're firing you, you know, and, and that's, it's a similar thing that has to happen at the grassroots level here with what's going on where parents just have to, you know, band together and say enough is enough. But I don't know, Mel, maybe you disagree with this, but I, I just don't, I don't think there's enough awareness yet. I don't think, you know, middle America knows this is even going on, even though it's going on right underneath their nose. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that because it is censored to the point where if you find out this information, then people are like, okay, is this true? Is this, is it fringe? Is this really happening? And people just don't know what to believe. So part of our effort, I think that we have our work cut out for us is just to, to make our voice louder and to just bring more awareness. I think that that's happening because I talk to people and they tell me that they see people's stories on Facebook where they're talking about their issues with CPS. And I think that that is changing. But yeah, we do have an issue because right now people still don't know, is CPS really bad? Are they good? They don't know that they're really rogue. So we have to kind of bring more awareness around the whole situation because the other side is loud. They've got the media on their side and we're at a disadvantage in that way. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, the, the thing that really has always bothered me when I first met Sylvia, I, I didn't know any of this stuff. I mean, I was really green and she, you know, just doing shows and learning about it as we went along and just talking to them, you know, offline and texting and all these things. I've learned quite a bit from these, both Danielle and Sylvia, also Megan's case. Um, but the oversight thing has always just been my biggest thing. Like, I cannot believe there is no oversight in any of this. It doesn't matter if you're if you're in the court. Most people probably don't know that you have no jury of your peers. Um, 
they don't know that there's no uh, cameras in the court or yeah. that, you know, like you said earlier, all of them are in it together. They're all being paid by the same fund. Like if, if people knew this, they would instantly call out what's going on. I, th I think people would get together and say, we keep, this is ridiculous. Wait, you're saying they're taking, you know, uh, kids from good parents. I didn't know that. Like when, when they wake yeah. up, I think people are called to action at that point. You know, Gino, the the people are being defrauded. That is the, you know, there is some culpability for the people, but really the responsibility is the fraudsters. They did lie. They do go on TV and just lie to people straight up. And maybe it's the people's fault for believing them, but we have the power to actually just address the fraud. It's called wire fraud. When you go on TV and you say things, you know, they'll, they'll say something like this. We're going to make sure, you know, that every woman has access to reproductive health care. People don't know that means abortion. They really think that that person is talking about reproductive health care. And you can't really blame them for being ignorant to that degree, because how are they really supposed to know that this person is lying through their teeth? You know, so I think that we for those of us who are awake, we just have to kind of, you know, yes, we have to wake people up and kind of be diligent on that. But I think that really, you know, well, well, well taking them to court for fraud and intentional misrepresentation, which is basically what it is, has to happen. There's no way around it. They, they've lied to people. That's why people don't know. Calling reproduct, calling abortion healthcare or reproductive healthcare is a blatant misrepresentation. And they do this all the time. They'll say that we're going to help more families, even even the Social Security Act, we're going to help more families stay together. But they do the complete opposite. <clears throat> now, there is a cause of action for something called compounding. And that is when a person who's in a position to prosecute refuses to prosecute because they're getting some type of favor. And that is also another something that we should take them to task for. So I think that really, if we just kind of address it, you know, for what it is, you know, fraud happens all the time. You know, <laughs> when I was when I was filing my police report, the, the police officer told me that the majority of the cases that he was investigating were fraud. So it's not it's not that difficult of an argument to make, really. You just kind of have to to have your evidence and show that they're basically, that's what they're doing. You know, people don't know because they're being lied to. Yeah. They are masters of messaging for sure. I mean, these are propagandists. It's, yes. we live in, I, the irony is we live in the, the, we live in an information era, right? Information is at our fingertips. All of us, we all have phones. We can Google anything we want, search something out. And yet we've been dumbed down so much to their lies that you you've believed it you know I've, I've seen it before you know you got the word believe right in the middle of believe it says lie <laughs> and that's exactly what they've done they've convinced you to believe something and the word lie is right in the middle of believe and it's it's a shame i mean i think a lot of people are waking up i mean i'm very encouraged the girls know i think we have a yes. great future ahead to be honest i don't this yeah. we're gonna tear this i call it the babylonian mm -hmm. system the whole thing's coming down but in the meantime, we still have to fight. We don't just get to sit on our hands and do nothing. I mean, we have to be active and we have to we have to um, enlighten ourselves with the information that's available, the good information, 
that that's the other hard thing deciphering what's good what's bad um but i think we've done enough shows here at rescue the fosters and what you're doing mel and others that there's enough good information now where they can put the pieces together and say you know what maybe cps isn't good i that because we have to ask why that's the that three-letter word has served me better than any other word in the english language when you ask why and you really are seeking truth you're going to find the truth that's true well that and it's not safe for children this is what i learned working in the foster system i thought that we were taking abused children from uh, an abused environment and placing them in a safe environment what i discovered was we were placing them in a very abusive environment that made them into survival mode um, I mean, it was it was awful as an adult working in the foster system, and it's not safe for children. So yeah. how like we cannot allow our children to be placed in an unsafe environment? That's the bottom line. We cannot allow it. Exactly. That's really well, what it boils down to. Eighty-eight percent of the sex trafficking in America is coming from foster care. And a lot of that's happening because of the runaways that are running away from group homes. And you have to ask, why are they running from group homes if it's safe? They're running mm -hmm. away. They're trying to find safety. Yes. They're yeah. negligent in the sense that they're not actually taking care of, I mean, these places aren't safe. So I think that, you know, people do, if they want to know, they can find out. But really... Yeah. I think that it's discouraging when they do find out because when they realize all the effort involved in undoing what is actually happening, it just makes them want to just give up many times because the truth is too hard and it's too much. It's just, it's too much. Like the rabbit hole is too deep, you know? So it's, it could be a lot, but you know, we just have to keep going. So. Yeah. Well, can you give an example if, if someone called you today and says, I really need your help, I'm in a situation, what's my next step? I mean, is there like a playbook you go by or is every case a little, you know, obviously they're a little bit different here or there, but is there kind of like a general rule of thumb where let's just say you get the knock at that dreaded knock at your door today and it's CPS and they're with the cops and they're saying, we need to take your child. I mean, what, what is your advice for that person? That's a good question. I would say that if CPS is at your door, then I think you should actually go outside of your house and speak to them. Don't ever invite them into your home because they cannot come in without your consent. That's the first thing to know. And once they come inside, you know, they're always they're always going to see what they can get away with, right? Think about it, the police officer and so, and to these days now, social workers, it wasn't it wasn't like this before, but now they are, it's kind of like you have the right to remain silent type of situation and you have to think about everything you say. So definitely don't invite them inside. Step outside to talk to them because <clears throat> if you don't talk to them at all, then it could also make them seem like you're trying to be, you know, evasive. trying to hide something. Yeah, yeah evasive. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go out, just ask them, you know, ask them for their information. What is this in regarding to? Ask them for their information as far as their business cards and things of that nature, because you want to collect information as well. So, and finally, always record. 
have everything on recording. If they don't consent to being recorded, then you don't have a conversation with them because there's too many opportunities for them to say that you said or did something and their word in the court is technically has carries more weight than a private individual. So get everything um, recorded. And finally, don't admit to any type of uh, wrongdoing. You know, you don't, they're, you don't, you don't owe them anything. You know, they may make you feel like, oh, you need to start spilling the beans or telling them everything, but maintain your privacy. It's okay to be private. You don't have to, you don't owe it to explain your personal life and your medical history to a complete stranger. Just, just keep that in mind. So just, you know, get information on them. Don't have them in your home, record, and don't talk bad about yourself or anyone else because even talking about bad about someone else they could take that information back to that person which they normally do then they use it as a chance to kind of go back and forth so just keep it positive uh and keep it on a a, a positive note you know don't talk about depression or you're sad or anything like that just i, I say be a gray rock you know that's that's my thing i say gray <laughs> rock which is just don't have a lot of emotions you know you don't have to wear your emotions on your sleeve oh i'm sad or i'm this just kind of be boring be something that they're not interested in don't provide them with a lot of you know theatrics or something that could make them you know yeah that makes take sense. it out of context yeah so just be very yeah. calm collect their information and and don't let them in your house <laughs> so right. devil, devil's advocate again what if they show up with a warrant though or 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 at your hospital room when you mm. give birth because that's happening a lot <laughs> the best way to deal with those situations is to always have um, a kinship person okay the when they have a warrant what can you do at that point in time okay they have a warrant so they can remove the child that is the law but at the same time kinship care is and Sylvia, I'll let you speak to this as well, because I'm sure you know all about the, the law in regards to them being priority. If you have other people that are available that you know and trust that can keep your child, they cannot take them and put them with a complete stranger. Most of the people that I've seen who've won their cases really fast have very are very well known in their communities. They don't have a very they don't have difficulty getting media attention because they know a lot of people. People show up to the court. Their family is showing up to court. They are very loud and they're they're they roll deep. You know, after, and I, this is just me analyzing what I've seen. This is not my strategy. I've just seen the cases. The cases that get closed the soonest are the people who have a large family, so they can't say that they have no place to place them with. They're very vocal. They're very present. They even show up at the same day that CPS, they're not, they're not far away either. They can show up at the drop of a dime. And I think that if that is a situation, you need to have your family close to you. You shouldn't be alone because they pick on people who are lonely and in situations where their family has abandoned them or turned their back on them and things of that nature. But Sylvia, yeah. what would you say? <laughs> No, no, you're right. Now, but the thing is, is it goes back to the social worker. So a lot of these social workers, they are legally supposed to put your child with family. However, corrupt social workers bypass that. So this is where you need to know the your rights, just as you're saying, because 
if they are to remove them legally they are supposed to put them with a family member not foster care but that the more family happen. members you have the more difficult it makes them to say you don't have yes. any family yes yeah, so I mean, basically do as everything that you're saying, like if you're a new person that comes across CPS, document, make your caseworker do the legally by, you know, by the law. Um, and the, the problem with these social workers is that um, a lot of them don't even know the law. A lot of them aren't even, uh, they don't have degrees in social work. They have degrees in uh culinary or dancing or photography and they're only going by what their supervisor teaches them and they're not taught the constitution they're not taught the law the only thing that they're given is a handbook that they go by right so you have to check your social worker at the door basically you have to know exactly mm -hmm. Uh, in the chat here on Rumble, uh, Pookie Girl said it would be nice to have something written that we could hand to whatever authority shows up that explains my rights and what I can do in the situation. I have one, I have one for if I'm stopped by a policeman, but you have to know the law. That's a good point. We've actually had a few people do that on that together. Yeah, we should do yeah. that together. Now. I think we should yeah. do that, Sylvia. That's a great yeah. idea, yeah. and I and I'm I glad that. that that user brought that up because. Mm -hmm. When they when people tell us what they need and what situations that in they're in, it helps us know how to come up with things that would help them better. So we're definitely going to yeah. work on that. And also, we got feedback today that we're going to be preparing a checklist of all the things you do if mm. your children are taken and all the notices Excellent. that you send out. So yeah, so yeah, we'll put together that 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 letter because I do realize that if you don't know the law, then you kind of might not know what to say or do so there needs to be something in writing yeah sure. and you might yeah. self-incriminate yourself you know just by saying something that you were you know uh, ignorant on yes. and a lot of people do that that's what the miranda laws are, are there for so that you don't self-incriminate yourself when you're not a criminal yes. but most i think mel i think you're right like most people if if that situation came to their door it's panic mode let's face it i mean because you're like what did, what did i do and and then you, you, some of these people probably start questioning themselves like, oh my gosh, yeah, you know, maybe I did do something wrong. And it's nothing. You're, you're a parent. You're doing what every other parent does, every good parent. But you tell the cop, like, you know, if they ask, you know, well, have you hit your kid? And then someone says, well, you know, I've spanked them in the past. Well, you just gave yeah. them the door they need open to come and mm -hmm. take the child because now you're an abuser. Yes. You're a physical abuser. That's, that's the dilemma and the, the state we're in right now in America where something that used to be so routine in the past, you know, you don't spare the rod on the child or something like that, you know, or raise them up in the way of the Lord or whatever. That's, that's looked at as criminal. Well, yes. the other thing too, though, is that it, it doesn't matter what you say because they'll use no. whatever you say against you on mm -hmm. either side. If you yeah. don't spank your child, then you don't know how to discipline. If you do spank your child, you're an abuser. <laughs> if you if you co if you co sleep with your child, you could cause SIDS or something. If you don't, then you're neglectful. You're neglectful. Like either, Good point. Either way, it's just excuses. Yeah. Well, not only that, what they let the foster parents get away with everything, and the biological yep. parents can't do anything. Like it's like it's two different rule books. It is. Yep. They have a book for the foster parents and a book for the biological family, and it's flopped. So that's something else. 
Yeah, one of the things that you have said, Sylvia, that I like a lot, that I've used a lot, is that they're, they flipped everything backwards. So they're treating the foster families like the biological parents, and they're treating the biological parents like the foster the parents. The foster parents. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. It's all backwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all backwards. Mm -hmm. Mel, how long did it take you to get your children back? Well, it took, let's see, seven years. Wow. Seven years. And that is because I did not know. I had to learn a lot of things. I actually could have got it, gotten my back children back a lot sooner because I filed a lawsuit very early on, but I didn't know how to argue qualified immunity. Hmm. So when they said the social workers had qualified immunity for what they did, I should have at that point in time argued that they didn't because they were using perjury, but I, I just hadn't gotten a lot far, that far along. So I really think that the reason why it took me this long is because it took me that learn, long to learn the laws, <laughs> quite frankly. You know, they are they only they can only operate on our ignorance, which is the reason why they do what they do, because the time by the time we catch up, they're so <laughs> they've gained so much ground. But not to say that you should quit or anything, but I think that if you learn the law that will drastically shorten the amount of time that your children are away from you. And right. you actually, that's what you do. You've prepared that for other parents so they don't have to learn the law. You've actually done the, done the, the hard work, the legwork, and now you're presenting <laughs> it. People can call you up, go to your website and check out what you're doing there. And then you give them the next step, right? And, and process. And I just want to say that I don't um, provide legal advice, but I do provide law related and policy advice and just common sense advice on how to use your court you know for example one of the first places to start when filing a lawsuit is just to go to your court website and read about their the court read about their forms where are they located who are the judges there where, what time are they open where is the parking who's the clerk how do they you know what are their most recent <clears throat> maybe recent rules that they've come out with. So really, you know, the information is there and I just kind of want to point people in the right direction, but I just always do want to give the disclaimer that I don't give legal advice. Right. Well, I just think you're amazing and <laughs> I love what you're doing. And I know the girls feel exactly the same way, but we need more of you. Um, like I said, the first time we had you on, I was so impressed. I remember just thinking, she's she's on the right track. Like, that's where it needs to go. Uh, because, I mean, it's sad. I mean, I, we've had, I don't know how many people we've had on, Mel, that have paid attorneys, and the attorney does absolutely nothing for them, but takes the money, 5000 yes. 10000 Some people have spent twenty, thirty, forty thousand. 40000 We had one guy, I think he spent over $300,000 at one point. And it was like nothing it's, was being remedied. And it's, you're like, what the heck are we giving money to these people for? And they're not doing their job. Now, I don't know. I have, this is my own opinion. I believe what's happening is there are probably attorneys that would, you know, maybe they're kind of naive to the whole system. And so they get on board and they're like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll work with this person. Nice. Then they get involved and they hear from their, their buddies that are already in the, like, Hey, you don't want to touch that with the 10 foot pole. And then the bar <laughs> makes a, the bar makes a phone call mm -hmm. or sends a little email. And then they're like, you know, hands off. Um, yes. Yeah. That's what I do think that as well. Me. That's what it seems like. So 
I, I, I just want to emphasize to people that this is kind of just something that we don't, you know, we paid a, a high price for being, for not knowing, for being ignorant of these things. And there's really, you know, even if you do get an attorney, you want to have enough knowledge to be able to look over their shoulder and know if they're doing what they're supposed to do for you. So it's not necessarily to to not get an attorney. It's just knowledge that you need to have and not necessarily just for getting your children back. But I believe that once you understand how negligence works and the law works in general, then you'll you'll be empowered in so many different situations. You'll never feel like, you know, even with a creditor, you know, like there's so many different things that you can do once you learn how to use the court for you as a pro se person and you're not afraid of it anymore, you'll never feel powerless again, not just CPS, but in any situation, police officer, someone accusing you falsely of anything. It's knowledge of the court and the law is, should be taught in high school. Yes. Hmm. How nervous were you the first time though, when you had to step in there and put everything you learned into practice i mean i had that had to be a little nerve-wracking to be honest with you gino i still have a lot of nerves when i walk in there and nothing has changed since then i still have to go through security and have them you know make me feel like they could lock me up anytime and keep me from getting to the clerk's office you know just make up something and just prevent me and and I have that fear sometimes you know and then but I would say that just my faith in God and my belief that this is something that he wants me to do and really my life has been a lot like Jonah and the whale where Jonah was didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach because he's like they're too far gone and I'm not gonna sit there and be mocked and go over here and do this work and I never really I told God I didn't want to be involved in the legal field because there was too many snakes and too many mean people. But based on the situation that I've been in, he kind of just swallowed me up and put me here. And I'm always going to do, um, so I'm going to say whatever the Lord wants me to say. That's amazing. I think that drives all of us on this screen for sure, is that we we know that we've been called to do something. And when, you're, when you know your calling and your giftings and you stay in your lane and do your thing, great things happen. And th- I, I, we all feel it. We, and Mel, I don't know if you do or not, but we feel like we are in that season. This is the time when things are, it's, yes. I call it the season of exposure and yes, there will be too. a day of reckoning, not the, not the great judgment. I'm talking about a day of reckoning here on this earth and it's coming soon to a neighborhood near you and all this corruption will come to an end. And I don't, I don't know exactly how that looks and how it plays out because let's face it, there are abusive parents. There are kids being really abused. Yeah. But it's it's not the numbers they tell you, and it's not the parents they're taking kids away from. Uh, so that actually, you know, that's something that will need to be rectified, and, and there's going to have to be something in place to take care of the actual abuse. But the rest of this has to be, like, taken down. I, I don't know another way. It, it doesn't work. It's just, like Sylvia said a million times, it's designed to do what it's doing. Uh, and the only remedy to that is to start over. Mm, yes when they say that children in care and foster care are six times more likely to die than in any kind of other situation with a biological family that tells you everything you need to know the abuse the real abuse and real families doesn't even Mm -hmm. come close to the situation we're dealing with now 
And then not to and mention, they know it. right? And then not to mention, if if one parent is abusive or maybe two, there's still a whole other family, aunts, yeah. uncles, grandparents. There's no excuse. It, it, they shouldn't be throwing kids in group homes any ever. I I grew up in a neighborhood where there was a couple foster kids, you know, but um, they did come from abusive families because I grew up in the seventies, early eighties. So like that's when things weren't as it, they've always been yeah. corrupt things about, but it wasn't to the point it is now. With with some of the laws that have been passed in the nineties that that incentivize the system so i actually saw like foster parents that actually were good foster parents they actually took care of the child um they knew they weren't their biological son or daughter that the child understood that but there was they they filled the shoes of abusive parents but the way it's the way it is now it's just not going to work it doesn't work and it's these poor kids i mean like you said earlier they're just being brainwashed to believe garbage and then it puts them on a path of no success they're not going to be successful adults they're going to be traumatized they're going to be drug addicted they won't be able to hold a job i mean it's mm -hmm. terrible it's absolutely mm -hmm. terrible what they're doing mm -hmm. makes me i i get i try not to get i get very angry <laughs> you probably inside there's like this fire that rages i'm like it's so easy to see when you see it like mm -hmm. i can never not see it again and that's what I want to happen to other people that were just like me. I want their eyes to be open and then a fire start to burn inside of them to do something, anything. It doesn't have to be start, you know, a podcast or something, but, you know, write a senator, write a, write a congressman, show up at your, at the uh, school board meetings and uh, go yeah. to a, go to visit a foster home, <laughs> ask questions at the foster home. I don't know. There's a yeah, group home. There's a million things you could do. Um, but, if we don't do anything, then it doesn't get solved. No. We need volunteers well, so people can volunteer. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Everybody well, needs to do they, a little. Where can they volunteer, <laughs> Danielle? Give them a, a place to volunteer. Where can they, look who can they call? Up, look up the closest group home. Um, right, Sylvia? Group homes. Um, look yeah. up the closest group home. And be an advocate for a child. Just Mentor. go in, apply. Um, I'm I'm thinking too that this can be like a sidebar conversation, but I'm thinking that we have to start having advocates inside of hospitals, just like they have CPS social workers sitting there. We need to be sitting there. Yeah, yeah, that's and a good court, idea. Court watching I've seen has been really helpful. A lot of people who do yep. court watching. Yeah. I've seen a lot of breakthrough in their cases because now there's people showing up and watching. So just showing up for someone and getting into that courtroom could be yeah. phenomenal too. Yeah. We do that yeah. so far. Sylvia has done that a bunch so far. Um, so we do advocate for um, parents inside of courtrooms when we can and that sort of thing. So yeah, we need court watchers, people sitting in hospitals, group homes, so yeah. anyone who wants to volunteer, give us a call. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, guys, if you want to reach out to the great work that Mel's doing, you can visit her website. It is saveourchildren.org. Uh, lots of great information here. I was uh, perusing through it earlier. You can reach out. There's contact information in the description box on the Rumble channel and also on Foxhole if you guys need help. Um, and if I'm sure uh, there's a donate button somewhere, right? 
Yeah, right on the side. Did I pass it up? That big pink one? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you can click on that and donate. Um, so yeah, pay a visit there. And if you know somebody that's in a, in a predicament, you know, we have great resources here. Rescue, reach out yeah. to Sylvia or Danielle at Rescue the Fosters and send them an email or give them a phone call. And we're here to help. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change a bad situation into something that's manageable and something that you ultimately get victory in. And uh, these three women are doing amazing work. And I'm so proud to be a part of it. And uh, they've actually included this idiot with a microphone <laughs> to be part of it, which is amazing to me. But thank you. <laughs> thank you, yes, Gino. <laughs> so, Mel, any last words for the audience? Uh, where Can they find you on other social platforms? Yes. In addition to our website where you can join the mailing list and get content directly to your inbox for free, we are also on Facebook as well as Instagram at Save Our Children Truth. Save Our Children Truth. Thank you for that. And uh, Pookie Girl asked, give out uh, contact inf information. So can you give out your emails, ladies, starting with uh, you, Mel? Yes. Our, my email is helpdesk, H-E-L-P-D-E-S-K, at saveourchildren.org. So just contact the help desk, and we'll contact you with however we can help you. And that's also right on the website, too. You can go right to the website and reach out there. Um, Sylvia, where can they find you at? Um, you can email us at help at rescuethefosters.org. So a lot of help. <laughs> yes, there's lots of help out there. You're not alone. You're not alone. That's that's the good thing. The one good thing about social media is this. There is a community of people that have similar issues and problems, and you can always reach out, and you're not alone. Uh, it, it can feel very lonely, I'm sure, but you are not alone. I promise you that. So ladies, great show. Thank you so much, Mel. What a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you for well. coming back on. I know we're going forward with some other things here, especially with Megan Walsh and some other, uh, and Chris Our we had Chris on a couple times now too, and you're doing great work with Chris. So we know you're just moving along, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, doing great work. And we are just so proud of you and, and thankful for you. So uh, audience, thank, thank you so you. much for joining us on the Foxhold. Thank you for joining us over there on Rumble. We appreciate you. Have a great night. God bless and take care. Good night. God bless. Bye.